podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. And welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I am your host, Andy Mitz. Today, we have a couple games to recap. Some great uh, results for the Kansas Jayhawks, both men's and women's. We also have a bowl game coming up, and there's a little bit of KU football news, so we'll go ahead and hit on that as well. But uh, tons of stuff to talk about. Uh, I'm sure we could stretch this into a three-hour-long conversation if we really wanted to. And, of course, by we, I mean I am joined by Kyle Davis, the uh, the deputy editor over at Blue Wings Rising. Kyle, how you doing today? I'm good. I'm, I'm getting in the holiday spirit, so, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the holiday spirit of, of, of Kansas football, you know? Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, bowl bowl games around Christmas, and and uh, you know the the um, classic trap game right before the holiday break for basketball, where you play one last time and hope you don't get caught sleeping while you think about while the players think about going home for three or four days. And, yeah, yeah, it's funny because I, I know for years Bill Self would always do the we're going to have a West Coast trip like right before the holiday break, so that way we can send everybody home to their families. Uh, you know, and just have them fly out. I think, I believe that the, the rules are a little bit better now to make it so they don't have to pull those kind of shenanigans to get people back home. But, uh, right. but yeah, so like normally I would expect the on the road at like Indiana or something would have come this week coming up as opposed to this last week. So we are going to talk about the Indiana game because man, it was a, it was a crazy game. Um, but we do have a couple other things to talk about first. Let's start with football. Um, yes, I know that, uh, again, this is, this is something that we're not, particularly used to uh, in terms of having uh, football to talk about coming up here, but I do think it's going to be the new norm moving forward. So, you know what guys get ready to be talking about football and, and games coming up in December. Um, hopefully we can keep pushing those later and later in the year, but big news or I, I get, well, fairly big news, I think for the Jayhawks. Cause of course the big question in this transfer portal era is, you know, who's gone, who's going to stay. Kansas only has as of now, as far as I know, three players in the transfer portal, Two of them are backups that I don't think anybody really uh, thought, you know, had had second thoughts about when they announced. In fact, I didn't even realize that these two people announced uh, when they did or there was any indication that went in the portal. The only guy of, I think, of note um, that's in the portal would be Gage Keys. Gage Keys did indicate on Twitter that he is uh, he is leaving. He's going to be a graduate transfer. So he has the opportunity to play immediately somewhere else. Um I mean, he was a he was a good piece for this Kansas Jayhawks defensive line, but I don't think he was an integral piece. Um, yes, he had some good plays, you know, but I don't believe he brought anything to this team that they can't find with a good transfer portal pickup that's going to be out there. So I, I wish Gage all the best. Um, you know, I don't want this to sound like, a, oh, well, you're leaving, so who needs you? Um, this is more of a, you know, go find the situation that's best for you. And I... I believe that Kansas is going to be just fine because, you know, he, while he is a good player, he is not an irre- irreplaceable player. Yeah. Well, and, and he, you know, I saw he just took a uh, visit to uh, um, Auburn. So like, you know, clearly <clears throat> if an SEC school is, you know, you, you, it's not like he's, he's doesn't have the talent to do it. Um, and I think also part of it is one, yes, I, I don't think it's as um, detrimental as it would have been in, in years past. And that's not even just because of like, that's not a detriment on him as a player. It's more about the depth that Leipold's been able to bring in and the fact that one person leaving doesn't crush the system as much as it would have five or six years ago because there is so much other talent. So, yeah, that to say, like, I would say that the, um, I would say the Lonnie Phelps 
loss last year, like him going to the NFL draft is probably a bigger loss for the Jayhawks than this is. And yeah, not, that's not saying, you know, Gage Keys couldn't cut it here or anything. It's just that Kansas has done a good job of, for the longest time, we're just like, all right, there's a couple, there's some talent at the top, but there's just, you know, there's a big drop off and there's just not that depth there as you go down the line. And that's starting to fill out a lot more to where there's a couple of pieces here that can go in and fill the gaps from, from him going by, you know, obviously, yeah, it's one of those things where, go, you know, you got one more year left, go play in the SEC, and, and I hope he has a lot of success, and I think Kansas will also be fine. You know, there's a couple of these that's, these transfer things are not always the case where it's someone wins and someone loses. Sometimes it works out well for both parties. Yeah, I, I do think that he has, that there is room for him to have a bigger role at some of these other schools. You know, I, I can think of several SEC schools that probably could use some additional defensive line help. Um, but, you know, Kansas actually already has some interest from uh, Dylan Woodkey, I believe is how you pronounce his name, uh, Youngtown, Youngstown State um, transfer. You know, he uh, he's coming from obviously the Penguins there, uh, which I, I love that that's their their mascot. But uh, he is being highly recruited by a lot of different teams, but he seemed genuinely excited about his Kansas offer. Um, so, you know, there's at least an opportunity there. I, I, I think <clears> – <throat> Having Austin Booker come back, obviously, you know, first team all big twelve. Um, you're gonna you're gonna have that guy there for the foreseeable future as a key pass rusher for the Jayhawks. So Kansas has a lot of good things at the position that I'm not necessarily that worried about. And of course, the opening uh the early season or I guess I guess it's now officially signing day because it's the early signing period technically, and the first day of the early signing period is typically when everybody signs. So it's the new signing day. Uh, that comes up December 20th, so make sure you guys are paying attention to Blue Wings Rising because we're going to have plenty of, um, you know, plenty of, of coverage there as guys commit. Um, I'll probably I'll probably throw up a live blog over there or something so that way we can have some sort of running tally or just an article that will get updated with all of the, the information. But um, so the 20th is going to be a fun day to kind of see what Kansas is bringing in. Um, but. You know, Kansas, like I said, has not lost a lot of players. Now, that could all change after the bowl game. That could all change, of course, after spring practice. But I do think we're going to get a good idea of the guys that Kansas is bringing in. Um, and, and I do feel like maybe this is me being a biased homer, but it seems like the guys that are going to leave are the guys that are probably getting recruited over. Um, and so, we, you know, if, if you have seven or eight guys leave after spring practices, don't panic because it's usually just means that they basically realize they're not going to get nearly as much playing time as they wanted and they're looking for other options. So, um, yeah, Kansas still has plenty of opportunities to pick up guys in the transfer portal too. So we will do a full preview of the UNLV matchup for the Jayhawks, uh, down in Phoenix, but, uh, we're going to save that for a little bit closer to the game. It, that, that, that game is coming up on Tuesday of next week. Uh, so we have a little bit over a week. It's going to be, I think, a good opportunity for Kansas to kind of showcase what they're able to do. And I do expect quite a few of the younger guys to get in for significant minutes because my early look at UNLV does not have me impressed. So we we'll, we will talk more about that um, in a little bit here. But, uh, I mean, any other things about the KU football team that we want to uh, touch on? I mean, I, I know that we talked kind of briefly about the the new offensive coordinator. We kind of talked about some of that stuff going on, but I, I don't think that there was really that much else that happened this week. No, the, the, I think it's, it's more on the defensive side of the ball. Melo Dotson said he's coming back. That's a big, oh, yeah. Pickup. Uh, um, and then, you know, Kobe Bryant's been teasing an announcement, uh, on YouTube. And to go back to your other point, 
the transfer portals, like the way that it's structured right now, it's kind of one of those things where the top guys aren't going to sit around and wait for two months or after the bowl games to decide, like you want to get out of it in a hurry because that's already a ton of movement happening. Like you saw right. Dylan Gabriel going in from the big 12 and there's a ton of guys switching spots already. So like it, I, you know, it, it, it makes the most sense that if, if Kobe Bryant is trying to kind of tease a, um, an announcement uh, with getting some YouTube subscribers and, is not in a hurry to get it out there, then that's usually more of an indication of he's coming back. Yeah, or, it or feels the NFL, not necessarily transfer somewhere. Else. Right, it feels um, like it's either an NIL opportunity that he wants yeah. to announce, um, or it is him deciding to go to the NFL. Which I wouldn't blame him if he decided to go. I mean, he played really well this no, year, no. and uh, unfortunately, he's he's been very vocal about it. And I do think that a lot of a lot of people tend to agree. Teams don't really go after him anymore, which means that he doesn't have the opportunity to put up the eye-popping stats that he typically does. But when he gets evaluated for the NFL, I think he's going to evaluate really well. The real question is, is this going to be a cornerback-heavy class? Um, you know, how much how much are you worried about him being able to to stick up there with some of the top guys? But, I mean, you know, Derek Johnson over um, Rock Talk Sports Talk over at uh, over in Lawrence was talking about or he he's been tweeting like crazy about the 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 two corners for Kansas, Melo Dotson and Jacoby and, and Kobe Bryant, and they both grade out equal or better than the top draft prospects. So, I mean, yeah, you can talk about whatever you want in terms of um, you know level of competition or anything like that. Like the measurables are going to be what's ma- what matters, but I do think that Kansas, the two Kansas cornerbacks, both grade out really well. I think that Melo Dotson coming back next year. It's going to be huge because it's going to give him an opportunity to put his name even further on the map and get him an opportunity, I think, to get drafted. So I'm excited to see what he does there. And, of course, if Kobe Bryant comes back, we'll all be extremely happy. I know that the campaign has already started to try to pressure him to say, hey, you need to come back one more year because we need you. <laughs> so we'll see. And it does seem like, yeah, and it seems like it seems like the, the key guys are bought in. And also, I've, you know, I've heard this from multiple people, and I saw Mike Vernon talk about it too. So I always know when he's – hearing the same stuff that it's it's always good that like the nil like kansas especially compared to some other big 12 schools really has the nil situation figured out and it is not a i don't want to say that's the only factor because i think the the you know you've heard later like we'll talk about trust and some interviews and some other things about when it comes to poaching players and that they you know they have trust in their guys and they want you know they want it to be reciprocal but i do also think you mentioned it like for someone like Kobe Bryant, it, it's you know we're not in the days where it's like I just got to go make some money for my family because I'm not getting anything here. And I think right. uh, Kansas is doing a good job on the football side as well. Yeah, and let me let me put it this way: Kansas has a top ten NIL program in all of it, yeah. in all of the NCAA. And if Kansas loses a player to someone else, it is not going to be because of NIL, with the exception of right. maybe like you know if. If Jalen Daniels had won Big 12 Player of the Year, had been a Heisman candidate and decided that he wanted to go, you know, to to Alabama or go somewhere like that sort of thing. Like if you get a guy with a once in a lifetime opportunity to go to one of the best schools in, you know, in terms of football and, and graduating people, like I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, hold that against them. But that's really the only way that you're going to be able to get enough NIL money to outpace whatever the Jayhawks are doing. So um, Kansas has been very, very good, uh, very active in the space. Uh, has been kind of at the forefront of figuring out how the the department can be involved in ways that will help the athletes. So um, they have done a fantastic job. And I, I think 
you know, the, I forget, I forget who it was. The guy that was running the Kansas NIL program actually went to a, a, a national NIL kind of collective thing to, to help, you know, push that forward. He was, he's been very forward looking for the Jayhawks and then, and then has moved on. And I, I apologize for, to him for not remembering the name, but, um, yeah. So I, I think NIL is in a really good spot. Kansas, that's part of, I think, why Kansas has been so successful in the transfer portal this last year or so is because they have an NIL structure that removes, you know, money making opportunities as a reason to not come to Kansas. And so if you believe in what Lance Leipold's doing, you believe in his ability to build the system, you believe in his ability to get eyes on you to be able to to benefit and get to the NFL or wherever you end up going, like then there is no longer that, hey, but I but I can only make, you know, twenty thousand a year at Kansas, whereas I can make, you know, five hundred thousand a year somewhere else. Like if you're gonna have op- NIL opportunities other places, you're gonna have them at Kansas too. All right, final piece of football news, because I just thought about it as you were talking and you mentioned Mike Vernon. Um, he was the first one to kind of put this out there, but I've been kind of hearing about this quite a bit as well. Um, Kansas is in discussions right now to figure out if they will be playing their home games in Arrowhead Stadium as opposed to trying to play in a reduced capacity Memorial Stadium. A couple different reasons for this, and, and I think all of them are very, very valid. One, timeline-wise, in terms of trying to actually get the construction done, it's gonna, it's going to put, or it's going to put potential delays into that construction schedule if they have to shut down every single week during the season to get ready for, you know, an actual football game. So I do think that, uh, that it makes a lot of sense. There's a big push, I think, uh, you know, to potentially have senior day and then the home opener at home, just because, you know, have how big of a deal those are for the Lawrence community. Um, I, I get the feeling there's probably going to be some very upset Lawrence businesses and I completely understand, but unfortunately it also seems like there's just a ton of interest. Like from what I've heard and you know, this is, uh, well, from what I've heard, there is a lot of interest. The amount of season tickets that they were expecting to sell at the new stadium has already been accounted for, which means that uh, there's plenty of opportunities for them to increase the amount of revenue that they get by going over to Arrowhead, which in general I think is going to help. If they can do it in a way that doesn't look bad you know, on television, because if you go to Arrowhead and you have, uh, you know, it's only a quarter full or something like that, that's not going to look great at all, but... Um, you know, I think it does make sense, but what were your initial thoughts? One, when you heard about the potential to move to Arrowhead and two, you know, how worried are you about how that would look or what would happen? Or, you know, if that's super detrimental to the Lawrence community, if they decided to go. So, um, like initial reaction, it logically made sense. Um, there is some, you know, it's one of those things too, where, and I'm curious, you know, you that big projects like this, you set your timelines and you're working out, but like all of them are just kind of dates and you never know what's actually going to happen until you get in there. And so anything you can do to kind of streamline the process and make sure, I know, like, I'm sure that in, in Travis Goff um, and uh, the rest of the athletics, like mine, like that August of 2025 is like the, it's like, I don't care what else happens. Like we have to be ready you know, for the start of that season and nothing can go wrong. So if, if you want to try and do that and, and um, help make sure that you're limiting any delays or more delays than I, you know, I think that makes a lot of sense. Obviously there is a ginormous alumni contingent in Kansas city that, you know, drive to Lawrence or come that, yeah, I think would, would make a good showing. I'm sure that the athletic department, if they did that would work out a way for 
students to get easy access up there because you don't want to lose that that part of it. <clears throat> I think it's I mean it's one of those things where you know for the last 14 years football hasn't exactly been an economic boom in Lawrence to begin with. Now it has been, but I'm also sure that they will there'll be a lot of taking advantage of watch parties and other events throughout the week and whatnot. Like yes, you are losing the game day um boost on a Saturday of, you know, people walking around Mass Street before the game or after the game or all that sort of thing, which it take will take a little bit of a hit. Um it's again it's a short term hit for long term gains. And so I you know I think it makes sense from an athletics department standpoint when you're looking at the bigger picture. Like it's not gonna like there's gonna be people that don't like it. It's gonna not be ideal. You're right. I I wouldn't I would be shocked if you know, I would be shocked if that if you know you're getting fifteen or twenty thousand people and that's it to show up to Arrowhead for a KU football game when they're potentially ranked and like in the hunt for the Big Twelve. You know, with so many, with still it being a forty-five minute drive, with so many people in Kansas City being alumni, um, I do think it makes a lot of sense for you to still try and do, especially senior day in Lawrence, if you can, um, and with some of like the, or even maybe the, um, maybe with like homecoming too, like how you would do that. Like maybe that's the one that you, you do. So I think yeah, you that work around sense. it. Also, it does, I don't know if it has to be an all or nothing type of thing, but, um, you know, it, it does, you also don't want to, you know, it, it, you can talk about like the, the, the optics of what it would look like at Arrowhead and like, it also is, it's tough when you're, you know, playing in front of only like, 10,000 people in, in the booth when half of it's, you know, like tarped off and, and, you know, it's a live construction zone and all that stuff too. Like that's not the best game day experience yeah, for, I think, for people either. So, I think that's you know, the it, big worry, right? Is that it's a, uh, you know, I think the, I think they said that the capacity in the stadium next year would be 22,000 somewhere around there, um, which is not a lot. And it would all be on one side. Like it would be, uh, just logistically, there'd be a, quite a bit that would have to go into it. I also know that, um, you know, stuff like the press box, the suites, all that kind of stuff would be very difficult for them to do, um, in a, in a memorial stadium type of setup. Um, and, and I'm going to be completely honest, as much as we don't want to hear about it, those suites are super important for bringing in, you know, top level donors to bringing in a bunch of people, creating those kind of game day experiences. Um, I, I believe the the main hesitancy before and why it hasn't really come out before now was just because of the whole cost prospect of trying to, you know, take it over to over to to Arrowhead because you'd have to repaint fields, you'd have to do all all this kind of stuff. And the other thing that we're thinking about, like this is not a long term thing, like you said, right? Like this is a single year, um, you know, basically six games that we, you would have potentially in Arrowhead. Um, you know, it's a, a like I've, I've heard talks about shuttle buses to bring students over, like do a bunch of stuff to make sure that you still have a bunch of students that are able to come over. Um, you know, I also think that that would generate some excitement. Like, I do think that there's people that would be super excited. I've heard that they were potentially using that as a recruitment tool. Be like, hey, you get to play next year in an NFL stadium, like as your home, you know, as your home base. Uh, I don't know that everything is advanced to the point where they can promise that to recruits but like that's a that could be a big draw for guys that you know don't think that they're ever going to be able to necessarily make the nfl like if, if you have a mid-level college guy that could be a good solid piece for you um but probably doesn't have long-term nfl prospects like getting to play in an nfl stadium that's a lot of players dreams even if it's you know, you know that's why a lot of state high school championships will be played in like nfl stadiums or things or you know 
college football stadiums because it's it's a bunch of players that don't typically see themselves as having that opportunity. So, all right, I, I don't think that there's a lot of Im- more information that we have on that, but uh, you know, uh, man, that 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 football segment actually lasted a lot longer than I thought it was going to because there's a ton of football stuff to talk about. You know, that's the power of football. There's stuff to talk about even when there's really nothing to talk about. So, um, do want to jump over though really quick. Let's jump over to women's basketball. Um, yesterday, well, yesterday from when we're recording this, uh, you know, the Kansas women face Central Arkansas. And while it, it was a little bit dicey early in the game, um, you know, they did pull away pretty quickly there in the first half. And then they just continued to apply pressure and ended up winning a 69 to, I believe it was 48. I had it pulled up and then clicked away to something else. But they won by over 20 points. They got a ton of people involved. And... Um, transfer Ryan Cobbins actually hit two huge career milestones, got a thousand points total in her career and 500 rebounds in her career all in the same game. Um, which I think the crowd loved when it actually came up. I know that, I know that the Brandon Schneider had not realized she was that close to both of them or that she had an opportunity to get them both in the same game. So it was a nice surprise for a whole bunch of people. And of course the bench went crazy when they put it up on the jumbotron. So, um, did you get a chance to watch this game? And if so, what were your thoughts in terms of how Kansas played and, and how they were able to get everybody involved? I, I caught bits and pieces in between some holiday activities after after the men's game. But um, first of all, I think we have to acknowledge the fact that it's amazing that Central Arkansas's um, nickname names to the, the, the Sugar Bears. I think it's and then there's sugar, awesome. And the Sugar Bears for the, for all the women's teams. Uh, shout out, yeah, the tip the hat to Central Arkansas for that. Uh, it, it's there's some it. it Outside of the the kind of more depth and balance, there's definitely some similarities between the men's and women's team in that like turnovers are a bit of a problem, but like dominating the paint uh, can shoot well from deep at times, maybe not fully consistently. Um, you know, have a freshman thrown into the to the starting lineup who is is starting to kind of take on a little bit more and, and get comfortable. So I do think there's some similarities too, and I think you pointed it out in your hawking points but like this these are just these are the games where you need to have good showings like this um and especially to give some confidence coming into uh big 12 play in a couple weeks you know right after the first of the year and those are the ones where you just you know it's not always going to be pretty but just take care of business and you know that it, it's it's looking like you know KU has enough firepower to take care of business as long as they stop shooting themselves in the foot and missing free throws and, and turnovers and just sloppiness like that, which is some of the same stuff you can say for the men's team. Um, but like, yeah, o- overall, you know, it wasn't 40 minutes of perfect basketball from what I caught and was tracking on, on Twitter and or X and, and whatever else. But, um, but you know, it's, it was a solid win double digits against the team you should beat that much um, with several players stepping up and having good games. Yeah. I mean, there were a few takeaways and, and I did talk about most of them in the, in the hockey points, but there, you know, I talked during the game as well on, on the live blog, like my worry looking at this game was what, what could make this an interesting game and a close game for large portions of it was the fact that, you know, the one thing that the sugar bears do really well is to deny entry passes into the paint. And that's where Kansas likes to get a ton of points. They tip, they have been, they rate out really well in preventing teams from getting a ton of points from the paint. And hey, guess what? Kansas got 42 of their 69 points out of the paint. Um, it took them a while, you know, first quarter, like they got started early on fast break stuff in the first, you know, in that first quarter. Um, but then when Central Arkansas kind of, uh, I guess settled down and settled in, 
you know, the Jayhawks were having trouble getting it into Tyler Jackson. There was multiple turnovers where, you know, it was on an entry pass where someone poked it away or they overthrew somebody or something like that. And Kansas was struggling for quite a while. Um, it was a little weird because, well, no, you could tell that there was, there was an emphasis though on getting some of the younger players, some of the bench players involved in this game because, you know, Brandon Schneider talked about it after the game. This Kansas team, their biggest Achilles heel last year was they got to the end of the year and they did not have any depth at all. They were playing five or six players in most of their games at the end of the year. They just did not have the people that they needed. So it was important for them to kind of get the bench going. Paris Gaines has made huge, huge impacts, uh, kind of as a, you know, almost it, it, it's funny because Paris Gaines is almost like a Parker Brown type player for the women's team. Uh, where, you know, she comes in, she gets lots of rebounds. She's really energetic on the inside. She does a lot of great stuff, has a lot of great cuts to the basket. Um, so, you know, she, she fills that role extremely nicely, uh, for the, for the Jayhawks. And then, you know, you also have just other guys or other, other players coming in, uh, deny Papadopoulou, you know, she comes in and she, she came in actually, she's the backup to, 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 to or the closest I think that we have to a backup to Tiana Jackson. Um, but she doesn't typically get a ton of minutes, but she has made huge strides from last year. Um, you know, and so, so I'm looking forward to what, what she is able to do. There was, it was funny because going into halftime, every single player that had hit the floor had scored a basket except for Holly Kurzgeter. Um, and it was like, a you know, that Holly's going to get her. She was like, oh, of, oh, of four or something like that going into halftime. It's like, you know, she's going to start scoring eventually. And then of course she reeled off, you know, five straight points in the third quarter. Um, so I was not too worried about that, but it was it was probably the most balanced I've seen in a really long time. You had a bunch of players moving in and out. Leia Canessa, um, you know, she came back from an injury and had a really good game. I'm just excited to see what they're able to do. The real test will be against the Nebraska team that isn't like a dominant team, but is good enough that it's a huge step up in competition and should give you an idea of how you're going to fare overall in the Big 12. Um, there are definitely going to be ups and downs. You have West Virginia coming in at the end of the year. But, uh, you know, I am I am looking forward to seeing what this team can do. So um, speaking of things to look forward to, if you were able to uh, to jump on it before we got too late in the holiday season, you as well can enjoy uh, all the great apparel from our sponsor here on the podcast, the Charlie Hustle Clothing Company. Charlie Hustle is a vintage college clothing company based here in Kansas City. They want you to be the best dressed fan this entire year. They have a ton of great stuff from more than 30 different schools, and they keep adding new stuff all the time. They have tons of great Kansas stuff. The holiday sweater, I, I wanted to jump on that because it is fantastic. I absolutely love it. It, it's, it looks like an ugly Christmas sweater, except it's not ugly. So that's like the best thing you can say about a Christmas sweater. Um, but they have tons of stuff, tons of NIL opportunities, uh, like individual player shirts, ton, just great stuff. I highly recommend you go over to charliehustle.com. Use promo code 101215. You can get 15% off of all non-sale items. That is TEN1215. They are still doing some sort of holiday deals, but unfortunately, we are past the point where you can actually get uh, that delivered for Christmas. Uh, but you can do what I did a few years ago where you, you know, you go ahead and you get it and you show the person that you got it for what's coming or you get them a gift card and let them go pick something out because half the fun of of going over there and getting stuff is going and looking at all the great ideas that they have and picking out what you like. So charliehustle.com, promo code 101215, gets you 15% off of all non-sale items. Charlie Hustle, vintage made fresh. All right. I do want to jump over to the men's game because obviously I think that that was probably the most exciting um, a game that we've seen from the Jayhawks in a while. Also frustrating. But before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk Podcast. 
And we're back. I am here with Kyle Davis, deputy editor over at Blue Wings Rising. We are, to, of course, talking about Kansas basketball. It is time to go over to the men. Man, what a game that was. Kansas going up to Indiana, up to Bloomington, the return game of the uh, the home-and-home home series that they have. Unfortunately, it, it was unfortunate to hear that they do not right now have plans to renew that rivalry or renew that series going back and forth, although it would be a very fun one. And I know that Bill Self likes to play it, but Kansas getting the win, coming back from what looked like it was just going to be a, you know, not quite there effort for most of the night. What was the biggest thing that jumped out to you from this game? Uh, That when you are talking about watching college players play basketball, and again, we used to be like, you know, 18 to 19 year olds. Well, now it's probably like 21 and 22 year olds and a lot of the case, but like you are not going to get consistency um, and perfection like fans clamor for. Like it's going to be ugly at times. And the, Great teams are the ones who have C performances and find a way to win <clears throat> and can not make a shot for 30 minutes in the game. And when they absolutely have to have it, you know, they get it. And I think that's what you have in this team. You saw in the Kentucky game, you can saw it obviously in here. Yes, you could say there's a little bit of playing uh, down to your competition. I also think some of it's just like, you know, man, we, we, we live in this analytical world where we would love, you know, like if you're, if you're shooting, you know, 40% from three, then why the heck are you, how are you on three for this game? You need to be making shots. You, if you're doing this or that, like it, it's just, there's so many, um, I think mental aspects and you can see early the obviously assembly hall has a great environment. Uh, even with the student sections, not really there. Like they, they, they bring it, they obviously were, ready to get all over Hunter Dickinson. He seemed like he was in his head early. Uh, And it's one of those things where it takes a special kind of group or even players to, again, struggle for that long, miss that many shots that they shouldn't have. Um, And then when you absolutely need them, you know, Hunter does not miss that left-handed hook shot or Juan hits that wide open three when they left him wide open or, you know, McCullough hits big free throws, whatever it is. It was play after play after play in the last four minutes of the game. One team executed and made the shots that they absolutely had to, even when nothing was falling. And the other team, who was shooting much better than its statistical averages from either deep or inside or whatever it may be, could not do anything. And I think that's what you see. It's like, you, yes, we all, we're all clamoring for these, you know, 30 or 40 point uh, blowouts and, and all that other stuff. But like, that's not realistic. I know the net tries to, to um, give a lot of love to it and, and put a lot more weight than it should. But like you, how many other teams are going into assembly hall, play those first 30 minutes down by 13 and actually come out with a win. I would say there's probably, you might be able to count them on one hand who can do that. Um, and we've seen that at least this team has, that and so this is one of those wins that this is a classic Bill Self gritty tough like proud of this team kind of win like he loves these when nothing's going right there's no fools cold and three point shooting or any of the stuff that is we've come to know from like the Bill Self you know isms um, might have been a little high scoring for his taste I think if this thing was like fifty nine fifty eight he would have really gotten gotten going there but like no he, he's not this, a Big this Ten is the coach. kind of game he loved it. he's not yeah, a Big Ten right. coach come on. You're no. right. You're right. Uh, but like, I, so this is yeah. This is what you. This is 
it's not pretty all the time, but like this is, I would, if you're wanting to adjust, or if you want to figure out who a team is going into conference play, I think this head carries a lot more weight than beating some like team in the, in the, you know, low two hundreds at Ken Palm by 30 points. Like that doesn't tell me anything except that you're just athletically better. Like this actually tells me something on the road, true road environment. First one of the year, nothing's going well. You come back and you win and, and like grasp, uh, you know, victory from the, the claws of defeat. Like that tells me a lot more than, than, a buy game uh, where you win by 25. Yeah. Oh, I mean, the other thing, too, to look at here, like, yeah, it was their first road game. So you kind of expect it to be a little bit different. Yes, they played in somewhat hostile environments, but you cannot tell me that the Kansas fans don't travel well enough to turn pretty much every neutral game into at least a neutral game, if not a semi home game. Um, but the other thing to, to look at here, like, you know, my biggest takeaway is that Bill Self should not be able to use the rest of the year you know, the, the dreaded four letter word of soft about this team because they showed the grit that they have. And, and honestly, Kevin McCuller in general, like, you know, we talk about how big of a deal it was for him to come back. I don't think most Kansas fans realize just how big of a deal it was for Kevin McCuller to come back. You know, you look at what he did in this game. He scored 21 points on three of 11 shooting from the field. He did not have his shot today at all, but he went to the line 16 times. He got, you know, he slashed, he got where he needed to be, had 13 of his 16 from the line, which was just ridiculous. But the other, the other thing that's super impressive is, you know, he played the last eight minutes of this game with four fouls. Um, you know, he only was out of the game for like three minutes total. And I'm pretty sure that he was in for like all, but like 20 seconds of those last eight minutes after he picked up his fourth. So, you know, I mean, it was a phenomenal performance from him to be able to still get the type of defense that he needed to get to be able to do what he needed to do and not foul out of this game. Because if he had fouled out of this game, I think it would have been a big deal. Um, Hunter Dickinson well, to had that point, oh, to that ahead. point. KJ, well, I was just gonna say to that point, KJ Adams picked up his second foul with nine thirty four left in the first half. I, I called this out, and he only got one more foul the rest of the game. And so the whole thing has been, you know, oh, you're you're. There's not a whole lot of depth right now. Like you can't afford to get into foul trouble, all that. You can't lose these guys. And I think this is one of those trust and the experience things where it's like guys like KJ Adams and guys like Kevin McCuller, like even if they're going to get a couple, they, they know how to still play at a high level and, and not pick up the bonehead ones. Like that was impressive for, I mean, KJ basically, and, and, well, and it made me think of it, your point. I mean, Kevin played 37 minutes, KJ played 36 minutes. So he basically, played the last 30 minutes of the game and came out there with, with only picking up one more foul after taking two in the first nine minutes. So there's, there's a lot of credit to being able to trust your guys to stay in there and not only just not pick up fouls, but also like continue to play good defense and be aggressive offensively and, and make the plays you need to, to come back and win. Well, and, and honestly, Kevin McCuller as well, he picked up his second foul, I think with like seven minutes left in the first half or something like that. Like, I think in, in years past, Bill Self would have pretty much sat those guys. And you know, we, we complained about it quite a bit in the last few years about how Bill Self would typically just sit guys once they get into foul trouble. I do think that there's maturity and there's a, a level of trust, like you said, um, between McCuller and Adams, you know, guys that have been here a while, and honestly Harris as well, because we've, we've seen it happen with Harris as well when he got in foul trouble in I forget which game it was. But um, there, were, there was one where he ended up with like 36 minutes or something like that and had four fouls in the game. Um and so, you know, Kansas, I, I think, has players that Bill Self can trust to be able to do that. And it's a good thing, too, because, you know, they they, they need to have those guys in there. Um, Hunter Dickinson did not have his normal 
breakout game where, you know, he's getting 20 rebounds and, you know, scoring 25 points or something like that. But, um, you know, he has a history of the, with the building, um, against Indiana. Um, you know, so yeah, I think the fans had a lot more fun ribbing him than anything else. Um, you know, that kind of happens when you're one of the best players in your conference and then you leave. Um, so, you know, I do think that, uh, I do think though that Hunter, uh, had a, a pretty good game overall. I mean, he had 17 points, 14 rebounds, like for the way that he started the game, I, I thought that was really good that for him to be able to finish it out like that. I do think that, uh, that Indiana didn't double him as much as I was expecting them to, which ended up helping him to be able to kind of get into a rhythm a little bit better. But, you know, I, that's I, the respect that KJ Adams has earned because earlier in the season, you would have tried to do that. And Hunter's such a good passer and KJ is such a good cutter. And those two work so well together that like you can't afford to do that anymore. So now you have to pick your poison. Which one are you going to go with? Yeah. And this is an insane passing team. Um, you know, I made the comment in the live blog at one point. I believe it was when, uh, I think it was McCuller brought it up, swung it out to Hunter out on the, like the top of the, or like the, the top of the lane you know, on the left side and Hunter immediately passed it into KJ who was streaking to the basket, or maybe I have that backwards, but regardless, like both Hunter and KJ have gotten this rapport that they're able to get those kind of passes to each other. Um, it's just, it's great to see that this team, the way that they're playing together. And, uh, you know, we still need, we still need to figure out, I think who that number two is going to be full time. But I think a Marco Jackson has done quite a bit, uh, to kind of solidify that spot. He had 25 minutes in this game. Didn't have a, you know, a, a stat line that really jumps out to you. In fact, he was the only starter who had a negative plus minus. Um, but, you know, you have guys like uh, Johnny Furphy that came in, only got one point in this one. So he's not, you know, he didn't really step up. Um, Parker Brown came in, only had two points, but you don't really expect a ton of points from him. Nick Timberlake, unfortunately, is 0 for 2, was 0 for 2 in this game. And, you know, Jamari McDowell, I think, was a very is a very uh, good positive surprise, whereas I think Nick Timberlake is a very bad negative surprise. Um, I I have to feel like they're going to start shifting some of those minutes for Nick Timberlake, you know, elsewhere. I mean, he only gets six minutes a game, but or sorry, he only got six minutes in this game, but he's gotten more minutes elsewhere, and and I don't think that that's going to continue. It seems like Bill Self is pulling back from him somewhat. Um which I think honestly is the best thing for this team. But uh, thoughts about those two guys either like, is it a, is it a better pleasant surprise the way that McDowell's been playing or a worse, you know, bad surprise that Timberlake has not been the guy that we thought he was going to be. Uh, I think when you thought of their roles, it's probably a worse bad surprise that Timberlake is not who he needs to be. Now I, I do think a lot of it is, mental right now too and i think the next two weeks are going to be huge for him because you get your confidence back against yale and wichita state you don't really necessarily get it back against oklahoma and and houston and baylor so i think this is going to be big for him because you even see like just his you know his free throw shooting just everything like his confidence just way down he's in his head there's just it, it things compile there that being said I think Jamari McDowell, even when the stat line doesn't show it, and even if you say, okay, he played eight minutes, look at the minutes that he's been playing. He might only play six minutes a game, but it's like crunch time minutes. And I think anyone, you know, you 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 talk to coaches or other people that know there, it's like not all minutes are created equal. Like there's very much a, you know, I think Jamari and Nick Timberlake are probably playing around equal minutes in terms of the number of minutes per game. 
those are not equal minutes when it comes to situation. And I think it shows how much more trust Bill has in Jamari. And he's just, even when he's not, when you saw he stepped up and hit a huge three, I think he's one of those where, you know, we talk about like Nick's in his head. I think Jamari has, it seems like so far he's kind of got that cornerback next play mentality where that first, that three he took in the first half was not anywhere close. Like that was some freshman jitters. And then in the second half in a big spot, to cut it to five, he steps in and, and just drains one. And, you know, like, I think he, he just makes some of those big plays, his defense, you know, he's not a liability. They don't, they can't attack him. Like they can even attack El Marco at times. And so I think he's only going to kind of skyrocket. Uh, and he's a pleasant surprise, not as good as he made me kind of think of um, a freshman Ochai when they took the red shirt off in terms of not that, not as offensively gifted as Ochai was at this point um, and not as productive, but this thing of like, Oh wait, what do we have here? Kind of thing because he was, you know, when you even talk about the freshman and everyone else coming in, like Jamari McDowell was kind of like the afterthought, right? I mean, you know, everyone was excited about El Marco. Obviously, Johnny when they, he signed in there, it's like, oh hey, yeah, we also have this other kid from Texas, uh, and it was almost it, it kind of reminded me of like you know when Ochai was sitting there on the bench with the red shirt, then they take it off in the and was it the TCU game? And you're like, oh, wait, look at this kid. Like, what do we have here? You know, he scored seven points, but it felt like he had 20 just because of the, the spark he brought and how he just seemed to already be adaptive. And so I think um, Nick's is probably the bigger t- the disappointment at this, t- at this point. I hope he figures it out. But I also think that the trajectory in which Jamari is improving and the role that he can play, because, again, Kansas doesn't necessarily need another 20-point scorer what they need is someone who can play defense, rebound, pass, not screw up, and then maybe hit a big shot if, if you know, if everyone else is heavily guarded. And so, um, you know, Jamari is not the three-point shooter that Nick is, but he does so many other things well that Nick doesn't do right now that I think, you know, yeah. Himself, well, and- that he kind of you have to start giving him more minutes. And again, it's the it's the type of minutes. It's the second half minutes. It's the crunch time minutes that just Jamari's going to get over Nick every time. Yeah. Like I really hope that you know Nick hears this and proves me wrong and you know has a big like shut up moment um, because I'm at the point now where like I don't I don't know what Timberlake brings at all. The defense is much is has much to be desired compared to plenty of other players. Um, you know, McDowell, I think he's, he's defensively better. I think offensively he's shooting better. Like I just, I'm struggling to see why Timberlake is on the floor. And, and, you know, you, you mentioned how you get your confidence back against teams like Yale and, um, but like UMKC, he was a one of five from three. Like, you know, he has played a lot of those games and has not done what you expected him to do. And so I, I do think if it's a matter of like, the the one reason you keep running Timberlake out there is if you think that he's just in a slump that they're going to be able to break this year and he's going to be able to provide big minutes in the future. I'm just not convinced that that's necessarily the case. Um, just seeing the way that he's been able to play. I, I will ask you though, one surprising stat, cause I was looking at the, at the comparison between those two. Um, Jamari McDowell. So he has, he is five of 22. Okay. On, on the year shooting. How many of those do you think are three-pointers? We might be talking about all five or four or five. Yes, all five. He okay, is yeah. O of seven. Like he doesn't, yeah. He is O of seven from inside the arc. He has not made a single bucket from inside the arc. He is five of 15 from three, which means what that tells me is, Jamari, 
just shoot threes. Come on, be our three and D guy. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, listen, that's where you know, and yeah, and the good thing is now he, you know, he showed. I think that says a lot of it too. He showed that he could get to the line a little bit early and again those were kind of in the game situations but he hasn't even been to the free throw line in the month no he's i mean he's only he's only uh, he only has eight free throw attempts on the year so i mean yeah granted he doesn't have a ton of minutes um but i mean he's got you know 20 percent of the minutes so that's let's see 20 percent of the available minutes means that he has i guess that's not nearly as much as i thought it was uh let me guess that's Eight he's minutes played a game. eighteen minutes in the yeah he's played yeah it's like eight minutes, minutes a game in the last three in the last three games he's played eighteen the the big one is because he played twenty seven against Tennessee and that was um, kind of his breakout game but but yeah you're right so he's but that's that's okay because his you look at the rest of the 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 roster and the and the spacing of the floor and you know it's not like you want him cutting in front of Hunter or KJ in the post and you know you've got Juan and, and Kevin, like Jamari is just kind of posting up there and waiting for everyone to go. He's, you know, no one's focusing too hard on him. And so if he can, if he can get to be, you know, he's what right at 33% uh, from three in the year. If he can bump that up to like 36, 37, maybe take a couple shots from inside the yard can do it. But like, honestly, this team doesn't need him to score 12 points a game. They need him to score. If he can come in and play reasonably 15 minutes a night, get five points and do a bunch of hustle play floor burns, just gritty, like shut you down on defense kind of things that we've come to kind of love about him. That's all you need, honestly, because yep. you didn't think you were getting any of that at the beginning of the year. And honestly, like Nick Timberlake was going to come in and make threes, but he wasn't known to do any of the other stuff. So you take all the other intangible stuff anyway. Maybe he makes one three a game. You think Johnny Furby is going to keep coming along as he gets more confidence. Um, and going to, and then you t- you see what you can get out of Nick. But yeah, I think it's it's there for Jamari to at least carve out a a decent role compared to what you thought it was going to be at the beginning of the year. And again, the nice thing is, is that you don't need him to be like the guy right now, or even one of like you don't even need him to be a Marco Jackson right now. You just you just need a basically another kind of Johnny Furphy type player, um, although at different skill sets, um, which is good for for him because there's less pressure there. And again, the bar was so low and what expectations were, then yeah. you you like he's already exceeding them. Yeah. So I mean, I had seen some some chatter, some people talking about how man Ku is like struggled in the transfer portal because you look at like Nick Timberlake and you know the fact they don't have Arturo Morris. Um, I would argue actually the opposite. Like you look and you know, they brought in four transfers this year. Obviously Hunter Dickinson was just absolutely like pushes anything over anyway. But even if it was yeah, only that like, simple one. I made it I made it like a baseball analogy, right? Like Kansas is two of four in the in the transfer portal. One of the or one of them, Hunter Dickinson being a grand slam. You know, <laughs> and then and then Parker Brown was probably a triple. Like he has been a very solid doing exactly what you need. He's not a guy that is by himself going to push them over, but he gives them exactly what they need. Um, you know, obviously Arterio Morris is like a really bad strikeout looking, um, just because he's not available to play. And Nick at this point, like I would say he's probably in terms of, you know, pass or fail for a transfer. I think he's a fail at this point, but that's still pretty good. Like when you bring in four transfers, I, I think if, if they didn't have both Arterio Morris, like, if, if Parker had been the one, right, that was struggling and you had a guy in Nick, in Nick that was able to hit those threes, I think I think the idea or the thought process around that would be a lot different because 
that's like the one glaring hole right now, right? Is that who is your consistent three point shooter that's going to be able to come in and play good defense and not be a negative uh, on one side of the floor and hit threes consistently. And I don't think they have that, but um, all right. So, so looking at this game, any, anything else to jump out for you at this game? I was extremely impressed with Mbako. I understand why Kansas was, was recruiting him so heavily. Um, you know, I was, uh, he is, man, he is an absolute stud for, for the Hoosiers there. So, but uh, anything else to jump out to you from this game? You know, it, again, I think we're going to have to take some of the the sloppiness in in conjunction with the great passing, and even some of it was just like the you know the stepping out of bounds and different stuff. And and Juan still had a couple of of plays earlier where you're just like, what's what's going on here? But again, in the last four minutes, he does absolutely everything you need of him. So it's hard to hard to do it. You know, you knew early on when um, <laughs> Renault, who was one of seven from three coming into the game, hit his first two, you're like, okay, well, this is this is going to be one of those games where, you know, Indiana had all of the all of the emotion. They were hitting shots early. The crowd was into it, and you knew you just kind of had to had to uh, basically, like, do anything to quiet him and settle it. I think, again, there's just not one, you know, KJ, he was ill coming into it. He didn't practice on Thursday. You know, he, he obviously played and, and didn't look too bad, but like, I don't think he was probably at, at full strength um, by any means, but you know, this isn't, I guess this is another one of those games where it's just like, whatever you want to say about this team, like, I feel like I have a better sense of, of who KU is right now than quite a few other teams in the country, especially in the big 12. Like I was looking at this uh, earlier so the adjusted efficiency, like your your strength of schedule, basically on Kim Palm. So the, your opponent's adjusted efficiency, basically like how good are the opponents you've been playing? Uh, Kansas is is forty first in the country right now. So their opponent's efficiency uh, is so their strength of schedule basically is the forty first best in the country. Houston is two hundred and two, UConn's two fifty three, BYU is two eighty four. We're all loving to talk about Oklahoma that's undefeated. Theirs is 324, and that's out of 363 teams. Um, you know, you've got even like, you know, Creighton's at 85. Um, we're basically right in line with Arizona. Um, but like everyone else who either has a worse, you know, the ones that are, are a lot of them that are better outside of Purdue, Purdue by and far has the best resume with the with the hardest schedule. But like Baylor, like I mentioned, is, is way down there. Even, even you know, Duke and Illinois are in the, in the mid-hundreds. Or if they have decent opponent strength of schedule, they don't they don't have the resume. You know, like they've, you've got Tennessee, who's at 11th, but they're 8-3. and three. Um, So I would say that I know more about Again, the, the computer numbers aren't going to look as well because Oklahoma is, you know, looking great because they're undefeated and they got good computer numbers and they're high in the deck. They're beating everyone else. They haven't played anybody, and so right. uh, you know, Oklahoma has played exactly zero top. Oh, they they the, the best team they played is forty fifth. Uh, right? USC, USC, right, and then Iowa and, as well, and, both neutral site. Um, right. So like, so I think that's what I would take away. Like, again, another one, this is a true road game against a, uh, you know, top hundred Kim Pomp team. I think this would be probably a, well, I mean, cute since it's on the road and I'm, the quad system, I'm still trying to figure out like, you know, there's probably maybe a Q2 win, maybe a Q1 win, but like, this is, I think we know, <clears throat> I don't, I, I'm not as worried about the low margins and slow starts, everything. I'm, I'm more looking at the 10 and one record 
against the level of competition they played and looking at some of these other teams that they're like, wow, look at these guys. Uh, and they just haven't played anybody. Like, I don't know what to well, I mean, Houston. I think they're good, but you know, yeah. Well, Kansas so. also avoided the Baylor, you know, issue where Baylor went on the road or uh, kind of on the road to Michigan state and got absolutely blasted. Like, I mean, it wasn't even close. Right. I think they were down 45 to 16 and a half or something like that. It was so ridiculous. So, I mean, you know, Kansas has had struggles, you know, they've, they've struggled against other really good teams at times. Um, but you know, I mean, they beat Tennessee, who is another one of those teams up there. They lost to Marquette, but honestly, like, you know, that wasn't horrible. Like it happens. Um, you know, I do think Purdue's going to be probably number one in the, in the polls coming up and Kansas probably gonna be number two and Arizona's probably gonna drop to number three after, Purdue beat Arizona, but um, yeah, I think Kansas is in a good spot. Like, I, I don't think I'm necessarily that worried. I look around the conference and I do believe that I think, you know, Houston's probably the only team that I think has, might have the firepower to really keep up with Kansas. But like you said, they haven't really been tested that well. Um, I mean, you know, they, they played Texas A&M and beat that game or, and beat them, but it was kind of at home, kind of, not really, but or at least not officially. Texas A&M, I watched that one. Texas A&M went on a huge run in the second half to tie that game with about a minute left, and then free throws uh, yeah. separated it. But Houston also, I'm, I'm, I need to, I'm trying to find, but they, they actually just had a role player who tore his Achilles and now is, is out for the rest of the year. So that's a little bit of depth issue for them as well. But yeah, um, but but I mean, I, I think the main the main point here is that Kansas is set up really well. Yes, there's hiccups this early in the season, but I, I can't think back to a team that was successful by the end of the year that didn't have these kinds of hiccups. Like that's the one thing about college basketball is that none of these teams are going to be really good at the beginning of the year and keep it going exactly the same way throughout the entire season. So I'm not really that worried about it. I don't think it's that big of a deal, honestly. Um, You know, we're going to go ahead and uh, yeah, I think that's, I think that's about it here. Anything else about this game? um, Or did you want to do just a really brief look ahead to Yale? I think the last thing about the game is it is, um, I don't think we need to, we should, we, it's hard to, it, it's, you have to keep reminding yourself not to take a player like Hunter Dickinson for granted who can look, who can, who can look so off in the first 15 minutes, um, and then still somehow end with 17 and 11. Um, like that's just, you know, he, he just finds ways to get points, um, and just to, to put his impact on the game. And then, yeah, I think we're we're seeing that Kevin McCuller is working his way up the draft boards. He's in in the All American conversation right now. You know, his the the steals. I wish he would reach in a little bit less because he's he's starting to get called for those. But yeah, I think you're um, you are in a great spot to go into Big Twelve play undefeated, and even then, you have a pretty good start to to Big Twelve play. It's interesting because Yale, when you think of them. You don't necessarily think of like a big team, but actually Yale is a fairly big team. They've got a seven footer, uh, seven foot, 250 pound Danny Wolf, who um, kind of leads them, who actually is also shooting 50% from three. So that's a little scary, but um, they, but they also, they, they don't, they take care of the ball. Uh, so they're a smart team, which you would kind of assume if you want to put stereotypes of them being an Ivy league school, but they're not great at, at offensive rebounding. They're not good at scoring in the paint, which is, rough when you're playing Kansas because Kansas is one of the best nationally in uh in two-point defense so like it seems like one of those games where Yale's gonna have to get hot from three they're okay shooting threes they're they're about 34 and a half percent um they take 
not that many of them either. So they're going to have to kind of go against their style of play because I don't think they're going to get that much. Um, I don't think they're going to get that much um, inside unless, you know, they, they just, Kansas comes kind of sleepy into this game. Like we've talked about just looking ahead to the break and getting on the flight back home and, and aren't really um, doing it. But like they, I, I think, you know, teams are able to, they kind of give up some fouls there. I think teams are shooting well from both free and from the free throw line. So this is one where you should win. I, Ken Palm has it Kansas by 15. I think that's probably about right. Um, I think a double digit win and you're happy going into the break um, against a team like that, who is good. Like Yale, Yale is good. They lost to Gonzaga by 15. Um, they had some struggles since then, but like, I think they're one that you're going to see if they can kind of, it's going to be probably, well, Princeton's the heart of the, the Ivy League, but if something weird happens and Yale gets in, like they could be kind of a, an interesting NCAA tournament team. Yeah, here. I mean, so their offense is pretty good. They've dropped 40 spots in Ken Palm since the beginning of the season, which isn't great, but also, you know, it's not like they've played, well, they haven't played a murderer's row of, of uh, you know, teams. Like Gonzaga is the only one above or in the top 100, but. I also do think that this is, you're right. It's a team that I think has finally found itself that is playing fairly well. And the one thing that they don't do is they don't turn the ball over. You know, they're not usually getting like they're, they're taking good quality shots. They're just not hitting a lot of them or a ton of them. And so, um, Kansas is going to have to, I think, be very disciplined in this one to make sure that they don't get just tons of wide open shots. But again, I'm not worried about it. And, you know, final, final quick point here. Um, you know, you were talking about how, how ridiculous and not to take Hunter Dickinson and Kevin McCullough for granted. Uh, if you go over to the Ken Palm player of the year stat or, uh, you know, race there, Hunter Dickinson's number eight, Kevin McCullough's number nine, like to have two top 10 players in all of college basketball playing next to each other and both being able to have those big impacts, like Kansas is going to be okay. So, all right. I think that is going to go ahead and do it for us today. Kyle, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you haven't already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts, whereas Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any of the other million apps that are out there. Um, make sure you guys do go over to Apple. If you normally listen on Apple, they made a change to the app recently where it is not refreshing um, if you have not listened. Or I'm just sorry. When they made the change, it stopped automatically downloading everybody's. So in order to get it re- restarted, you have to go either listen to an episode or go change the settings so it automatically go back and, and download it and have it available for you. So if you've been wondering where the podcast is, um, and I realize this probably isn't the best place to, you know, make a plea for people to go make a change so that they can get the podcast again, but um, make sure that you guys go over there and get all of that uh, set back up. So that way you guys can continue to get these these great episodes that we do. We really do bring the podcast to so you guys, get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people just try to interview, anything like that, contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast.gmail.com or on Twitter at Rock Chalk Pod. If you can leave us a rating and review, that'd be great. Uh, five stars, nice comments, does wonders to get the show out to more people. But obviously, you know, if you have some constructive criticism for us, we would love to hear it. Um, we are part of the 10 Podcast Network, covering all the teams in the Big 12 Conference, including the new ones coming in. If you go over to 1012network.com, you can get links to all the great shows that we have. Uh, you can visit us over on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash 1012network. For just $5 a month, you can support your favorite 1012 Network show, and get a little bit of extra exclusive content. We have some really fun stuff over there. Um, and we're going to be looking to add more all the time throughout all of college basketball season. So, um, but make sure you visit our sponsors, prize picks and, uh, and Charlie hustle. And thank you guys so much for listening. We will catch you guys next time on the rock chalk podcast.
Podcast Network.